Hello, friends. <laughs> Trend here. How are you? Oh boy, that was a wild ride on the flood arc. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, um, I guess I kind of think of the flood as a first step in that we are powerless over our circumstances, right? They, they, Noah and his family were powerless over the fact that God was going to bring a flood. They were powerless before that over the fact that um, they had uh, all these very violent, awful, evil people living around them all the time. They couldn't really do anything to change that. They were powerless over that. Um, but what they did was... Uh, trust that God would rescue them in a second step, that God would, they came to believe that a power greater than them could introduce them or restore them to sanity. And because of that, they took some very vivid, real, not just a spiritual thought or feeling, but real steps to build the ark and thus continue to be in agreement with God and his good plan. And um, they did their part and God did his part. And they went through this little one, two, three, four, or one, two, three first steps, right? Um, that they were powerless, but there was a higher power that could uh, save them, and they agreed with that and did the deeds necessary to um, act on their faith, and um, they were saved. It's pretty much as simple as that. The whole rest of the Bible is variations on that theme. <laughs> Your entire life has been variations on that theme. What are the things that you've been powerless over? Um, beyond just if you're listening from a recovery uh, perspective beyond just your alcohol or your pipe or whatever your deal was, all the other stuff that you're powerless over. Um, so anyway, let's keep going. That was fabulous. And I, and I think that the idea that God comes with his, if we're going by the premise that the water is God's presence, he he purifies the whole earth with his presence. He washes it clean with his presence, which is, um, for the Christian listeners, that is what Jesus does. He washes the whole um, earth clean with his presence. So same God, uh, Jesus, if, you, if we're taking this from the perspective of, of the Trinity, this is Jesus doing this, right? Jesus is God. God is Jesus. The Holy Spirit is everywhere um, that they are. <laughs> That's the Trinity. So this was Jesus who made the flood and washed everything clean and started everything new. So, um, and I love the idea of Noah and his family. And I don't know if maybe my the words in my um, interpretation in my Bible are somewhat different, but here I don't really see that this was a violent um, flood. And in my story, and so 
I just say like maybe you guys have other um, words, but in mine it says that like in uh, verse seven, chapter seven, verse eighteen, the waters swelled and increased greatly on the earth. That's not particularly violent. That's kind of like a bathtub filling up. That's not a thrashing, raging sea. The waters swelled so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. So these are the same high mountains that Jesus and Moses are going to stand on later, right? They're not high if you're from Colorado or Switzerland, but they're high for Israel. (laughs) The waters swelled above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. Um, So it's just sort of a, a drowning in their presence, which I think is quite a beautiful image. Um, and that's what, you know, made it possible for Noah and his family to survive this ride on the ark. Uh, so, um, they've been in this sort of incubator now, right? They've been kept safe all this time by God. God's kept all the goodies in the incubator and now he's about to let the life out. Um, so chapter eight, the flood subsides is what my, um, heading says yours might say something different um but god remembered noah and all the wild animals and all the domestic animals that were with him in the ark and god made a wind blow over the ark or over the earth so there's his holy ruach in hebrew his holy breath again um the animating breath that that moves the world And the waters subsided. So he calmed down his presence a little bit and um, pulled back a little bit and and made a more of a balance, I would say, between his presence and a human presence. And he's going to hand us back the reins and see if we can do better. (laughs) Verse 2. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heaven were closed. So like these fountains of the deep are, just picture something like um, a spring that comes up from, from below. They were, they were flooding the earth from below and from above. So God's presence was coming from everywhere. And he pulled that, he shut all that down. And the rains from the heaven were restrained. And the waters gradually receded from the earth. So again, this seems like a pretty gentle process. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. Um, that's a long time. <laughs> that's a really long time to be in the ark waiting for the waters to pull back. Uh, there, This is a long incubation period for this round two, humanity V2. <laughs> The waters continue to abate until the 10th month, and the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains appeared. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent out the raven, and he went to it to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. He sent out the dove from him to see if the waters had had subsided from the face of the ground but the dove found no place to set its foot and it returned to him 
it, and it returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So the dove represents the Holy Spirit, right? It's what comes down from heaven. Um, and I think sometimes it can kind of represent your soul. I'm not super sure about that. Um, but I know it's the Holy Spirit, right? So he sends this out to look, and there's no place, so it returns to Noah. So he put out his hand and took it and brought it into the ark with him. He brings this Holy Spirit into the ark with him, gentle as a dove, right? He waited another seven days, and again it sent out the dove, he sent out the dove from the ark. So seven days is a very significant amount of time. It's a perfect amount of time. Um, and the dove came back to him in the evening. And remember, in a Jewish calendar, on a Hebrew calendar, God's calendar, evening is the beginning of a new day. It's really weird for us, but it is. Um, and I think there's a loveliness to that, that the, the new day starts in rest. And it's in that rest and sleep where you are most likely, at least in the biblical format, to encounter God in your dreams. This is how most of the people who hear from him uh, hear from him in their dreams, which I think is really interesting. I'm not a person that dreams very much, so uh, that would be very exciting. But anyways, so the, the dove came back to him in, in the new day, and there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf, which is the olive leaf is a symbol that we see all through the Bible, right? The olive uh, branch, the olive tree, it represents the the oil is made from these olives. It represents um, this kind of miracle in the desert that you could take this this rocky desert landscape and grow a kind of fruit tree that can make a little olive that has so much fat in it. They're full of fat, which is what God loves, right? He loves the fat portions of everything. And that is his glorious excess, this gift that um, he uses for anointing oil. It's it's just a, it, it represents peace. Like this peace in the desert, right? This peace is the the menorah works on the um, olive oil, and um, later the Hanukkah lights will represent a miracle with the oil, um, a miracle of light. So this olive motif is already coming to us. So the dove comes back at the new day with a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. So this is like a real touch of that second step of came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. He has this really beautiful, peaceful feeling that that sanity has been restored to earth. The evil men have been blotted out. And um, we're going to start again. Then he waved and waited another seven days, perfect amount of time, a covenantal amount of time, and sent out the dove. And it did not return to him anymore. 
So this means that it found a place, like before it could pick a brand, a, a leaf off the top of a tree, but it couldn't get, uh, it, it didn't have any place to live. But now there's a place for it to live. That's why it doesn't come back. And it's, it's ready to move out. In the 601st year, in the first month, on the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from the earth and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked and saw the face of the ground was drying. Oh, that must have been so amazing. We live in a place that is a lot like a um, rainforest at times, and it can just rain buckets for hours and days. <laughs> and when it stops and it dries up, oh my gosh, it's glorious. <laughs> Um, and the, and, and that's the thing, right? We all the time with the water, you have to have the presence of God in the right, uh, quantity and it, too much will kill us. Not enough will kill us. We, it, that is the living water. That presence of God is the living water. We need it in just the right amounts and to get it in the right amounts. We have to get with God to, to agree with God for his good ways. Um, 8.14. In the second month, on the 28th day of the month, the earth was dry. Then God said to Noah, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you out of all the flesh, the birds and the animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So he has not changed his direction here. He has not changed the plot. The plot is the exact same. We just had this interlude where he washed it all with Clorox and now it's all dry and now we can start again. Same <clears throat> goal, be fruitful and multiply. And it's not just that you want to fill the, the earth with 25 billion people, it's that you want to fill it with the image of God. You want to be accurate bearers of God's image. That's what Noah was. That's why he used Noah to um, and family to do this um, reboot. He's, he's done the bug fix and now he's doing the reboot. <laughs> so Noah went out with his sons and his wives and his son's wives and every animal, every creeping thing and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out of the ark by families now we get to the big covenant, right? Here it comes. <clears throat> uh, chapter 8, verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. So what, 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 what did Cain do? He built an altar to himself. And it all went wrong. Let that sink in. <laughs> when we have a beautiful experience, we need to thank the right person and it is not ourselves. <laughs> um, we, can, we can be grateful that we were wise enough to do, to pair up with God, but we build altars to the Lord, right? To our higher power. So um, he builds an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird what does this mean? Clean animal and clean bird. Uh, even at this point, even before they got on the ark, there is a distinction between clean and unclean animals. 
I don't know why God just made it that way. He made wild and domestic. He made clean and unclean. And that's just how it is. I don't know why. I... I don't know why there's something wrong with pigs in his eyes and not something wrong with cattle. I don't know. I'm just saying it's a biblical thing, okay? (laughs) Because people will argue that all the time, especially um, Christians, but it says it right here. I don't know what to say. Um, And the Lord smelled the pleasing odor. And the Lord said, oh, wait, sorry. um, Clean and unclean of every... Let me start again. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing odor, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of humankind, for the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth. Nor will I ever again destroy every living creature as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. That's really reassuring, isn't it? I've used that so many times when I get really, really scared about I don't know, current events or some chaos that's going on in the world, I have to look outside and see that the sky is still up, the sun is, or the moon is still up there, and the ground is still down, and uh, gravity is still in place. Uh, His orbit, his physical laws will not change. Cold and heat, thermodynamics will not change. that will all stay the same and that's incredibly reassuring to me no matter what humans do god has got a good order going on here he's still in control of everything um but here this part i have to really admit i don't know how (laughs) again they they make an offering of these clean animals and I don't know how they know to do this. It must, I'm, I mean, the only thing I can think is that building altars and making sacrifices is just ingrained in us like breathing. And maybe that's why uh, if we try to live without having this spiritual nature to just live in the material world, we get sick because it's not the way we're made. We get anxious and depressed, suicidal, homicidal, um, addicted to all sorts of things. Um, Work, success, alcohol, drugs, obviously, um, food, gambling, adrenaline of all sorts. Anytime I think we we try to go off of God's cycle, um, we get lost. And and that seems pretty obvious when you look at the world. So the um, spiritual malady is um, resolved by a spiritual solution. And so this is the building of the altar 
and the burnt offerings are pleasing aroma to the Lord. And even if we don't burn things as uh, if there's no more holy barbecues, there's barbecues, there's no holy barbecues anymore. I think the idea is that these, so, so our prayers have become, in my view, the prayers have become the burnt offerings. And in some churches, the incense is still the burnt offering. And our life on the altar um, is the burnt offering. And it is a pleasing aroma to the Lord. This, um, it makes a link between us and God when we take this intentional moment to stop and think about what he wants which is a clean or unclean animal or a clean or unclean person um however you want to look at that and and we give a very specific prayer of thank you of gratitude of surrender and that makes a pleasing aroma to the lord and uh in his heart so he receives what we give he sees what we do. He receives what we give. He um, is moved by us. He, we don't have any control over him, but we can, I think we can petition him, uh, influence, you know, I mean, we have a, a relationship. So just like we don't control the people we're in relationship with, though we might try, <laughs> we don't. Um, same thing with him. We're, we're in a two-way relationship. We can um, talk to him, and he hears us, and he responds. And he talks to us, and we should hear him, and we should respond. So um, that's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful story. And that is the flood. So um, we'll pick up next time with chapter 9. And um, maybe you could make your own little altar and uh, offering and a beautiful, pleasing prayer to waft up into the nostrils and the heart of God today. <laughs> All right. Bye, friends.